Hello and welcome to the second episode in our Airmic Talks ESG series. In our first episode, we heard from Sean McGovern, CEO of AXA XL in the UK, talking about how he thinks the commercial insurance market should be responding and addressing um, ESG objectives for both themselves and for their clients. So do go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. And this month, I am going to be joined by Kieran Healy, Director of Client Solutions for EMEA at Aon Captive and Insurance Managers. Kieran has uh, pioneered the idea of a green captive, basically using the captive to support and drive ESG objectives through risk financing. And Kieran is going to tell us a little bit about how that can work and the way he sees captives playing a role in supporting parents' ESG efforts uh, now and in the future. We do begin, particularly for listeners who may not be experienced with captives, by giving a, a bit of a, a quick 101 on what captives are and how they're used by corporates, which should give some context for the discussion. But first of all, Kieran begins by explaining the kind of conversations he's already having with clients in the context of ESG. It's coming from a number of different sources, really. Um, but ESG, first and foremost, is, is really influencing how they think about risk. So traditional risks are now getting new characteristics because of ESG, but also it's, it's introducing new forms of volatility as well. So from a risk management perspective, it's sort of expanded the horizon of risks. The risk register has probably gotten a little bit more complicated or, or a bit more broad because of ESG. Yeah. So I think, you know, from their perspective, it's how do we understand what these new forms of risk are? What are the new characteristics on existing risks that ESG is bringing in? And so that's kind of primarily where it's coming from. But then the other side of that, from a captive perspective particularly, is regulation. So obviously there's been a lot of talk about uh, climate and you know the, the reporting requirements that are coming related to climate change. We're also starting to see regulators and other stakeholders looking for reporting um, on a broader ESG agenda across the board. So I think there's there's a regulatory push and then there's also, a, I guess, a push from just understanding the risk and doing their job as a risk manager. So that's kind of the two main areas we're seeing ESG popping up in conversations at the moment. So obviously, Kieran, you and I are both uh, very invested in the uh, captive insurance world and we talk about it uh, all the time, far too often, I imagine. But a lot of our AMIC members and, and listeners to this podcast, some of them will be experienced captive owners, but many of our members, of course, do not have uh, captives. So I guess before we get too deep into the role you see captives playing in supporting organizations' ESG objectives, it'd be really good if you could just give us uh, a pretty basic uh, introduction to the kind of captives concept and how they're traditionally used. Why do we see captives being used and, and why do they exist? Yeah, okay. Well, if we take just the first principles, obviously captives, and that's a term that covers, you know, any sort of formalized self-insurance vehicle or a vehicle to, to house your own risk retention, um, you know, they're used primarily as a way to uh, reduce total costs of risk. So in other words, if organizations have a, any sort of a sizable retention or have aims at increasing their retention, putting it into a formalized vehicle like a captive will be much more kind of beneficial in the long term in, in terms of how they interact with the market um, and the ability to retain risk. So as risk transfer gets more expensive, retaining risk is you know becomes more attractive and obviously having a vehicle to, to retain that risk um, is, is something that large organizations look to do. So that's kind of primarily how they're thought about. But if you look to talk to mature captive owners, actually the real value in a captive is sort of the long-term strategic ability 
to collect data, to have better control over the risk, to have more more of a seat at the table around the claims management processes. So it's it's really viewed by those who use it correctly as part of their risk management strategy. And so the, the real gains of having a captive are, as well as you know cost savings, it's really about giving the risk manager more control over the, its destiny in terms of how it places its program, but also how it manages its risk across the enterprise. So that's kind of you know on the very highest level, they're the kind of two main ways or reasons that organizations set up captives. And obviously there's, there's a million different details within all of those kind of points, but they're the, they're the kind of main two I'd, I'd touch on. Yeah, and for listeners um, who maybe are re- relatively new to captives, Emic has got a lot of resources on captives. We've even got a uh, explained guide on captive insurance, which we actually partnered with Aon on uh, to update just last year, I believe. Uh, so I'll put a link to that in the episode show notes. So you mentioned at the very top there, Kieran, uh, about how ESG is kind of changing the way or, or impacting the kind of the risks uh, that risk professionals are having to deal with at their organizations. And you've, exchanged, you've explained a bit of context about captives. So let's start to marry the two up then. Why do you think captives have a, a potentially unique role to play in supporting the ESG objectives at the group level? Yeah, I, I think it does have a unique role to play. And, and it kind of links back to the point I made about the captive being a sort of a conduit to, to gather risk data and to control risk data. And so if we think about the risk coming from ESG, they're still just risks. And so, you know, you can use a captive across risks that come from ESG in the same way you can any other risk. And so one of the things that a captive is particularly good at, for example, is where we have new or emerging risk to use a captive to define the underwriting of that risk. So particularly where we don't have risk transfer options, which is the case for many of the kind of ESG risks or the risks coming from ESG, what we can do is use a captive to start putting some governance around the risk, start getting better information around that risk, and then start to overlay an underwriting methodology around that risk. So that what we're, we're essentially what we're doing is we're allocating capital to the risk, we're, we're charging a premium for that risk. We're doing all the things that an insurer would do around the risk. And then we get to the point that, you know, as that matures and as, you know, the underwriting model matures, we should and could and expect to be in a position where we can start having conversations about how we offload some of that risk to a, an insurance carrier, for example. So that's why a captive is particularly important, I think, when it comes to the ESG part. But also that that that's kind of just, I suppose, the traditional view of how a captive can be used for an emerging risk. I think there is another element to the ESG conversation, which is quite interesting. And it's it's sort of this total cost responsibility concept. So we, we, most people in the risk community will be familiar or will have heard of total cost of risk, which is essentially, you know, h- how much does it cost you to retain, transfer and manage your risk? Yeah. Well, there's a sort of responsibility element being brought in now, which the ESG agenda is bringing in. So it's no longer, I suppose, fully appropriate or uh, complete just to think about the risk in terms of the cost. We also have to think about what responsibility does the corporate have relative to that risk? So, you know, there's the whole polluter pays concept. And so if an organization is having a detrimental impact on the environment by any of its, if it's kind of normal course of action, there's a sort of onus being placed on corporates now to think about what the cost of responsibility is there. So what responsibility does that corporate have around the impact it's having around the environment and what it needs to do there? And so the captive is a nice way to start to put a measurement basis on that cost of responsibility. And what that'll do is then sort of broaden the conversation around 
well, what does that risk actually mean? You know, there is a cost of the risk in terms of if a loss happens, but there's also the cost to the environment, society and the governance aspect that maybe that risk is also having an impact on. And so I think it's important that we start to measure and monitor those. So, Kieran, you mentioned at the very beginning there, obviously, that ESG is impacting uh, existing risks to organizations and changing the way that organizations kind of think about the risks that they face because ESG is having an impact on them. But I imagine it's also presenting some some new risks um, or some kind of not seen before risks to organizations. One of the things that jumps out is particularly a new type of litigation risk. We, we hear accusations um, of kind of greenwashing in organizations, and that obviously could lead to litigation. Can captives deal with some of those more uh, exotic kind of funding uh, issues or, or, or coverages? Can, can they play a role there, do you think? Yeah, I believe I can. So think about litigation risk. We we obviously have lots of precedent of uh, class actions and, and litigation coming from similar types of sources. And so obviously we can use that sort of data as a way to, to build an underwriting methodology around uh, pre-funding or using a captive as an incubator for these kind of risks. And I think we're seeing more and more of that. Like you mentioned greenwashing and, and there obviously there's a huge amount of onus and a lot of sort of uh, activist bodies now very, very sensitive to companies, you know, the perception that they're greenwashing. And I think that's something that organizations need to be very wary of. I think a- anything that's along the ESG agenda needs to be measurable and needs to be accountable, needs to be auditable. Otherwise, you do fall into the sort of um, potential greenwashing area. So that's one area where we're seeing litigation. The other is that I think there's just a greater sensitivity to the impact that organizations have on the world, you know, environment and society particularly. So where it might have been just sort of frowned upon where there was an environmental impact historically, I think now what we're seeing is that organizations are starting to mobilize those sort of um, sentiments into litigation. So we're seeing lots of organizations being brought due, brought to held to account due to their carbon footprint, their historic carbon footprint. It's not even necessarily what they are doing today. It can be what they used to be doing. Yeah. Um, but also it, it's much more wide ranging than that. You know, I think a lot of the conversation around ESG is focused on carbon and it's focused on climate change. But actually, there, there's a you know there's a lot of things coming down the tracks at EU governmental level and at you know from from organisations such as the UN that focus you know on things like biodiversity and the degrading of the the environment and the quality of soil and the whole um, value chain around food. So there's going to be a huge amount of onus on that. And I think you know there's what we're going to see. I think the UN's next focus area is going to be on biodiversity. And so we're going to see that obviously there's a huge correlation between carbon production and biodiversity, but it isn't just that. There's also plastics. There's there's a whole range of other ways that um, the environment gets damaged. And so I think we need to kind of broaden that vista of, of where the risks come from a little bit, but also because I, I think we're seeing lots of class actions coming now and across the board on lots of different areas. Yeah, of course. And if those class actions continue to come, and obviously there are settlements out to be made and, and monetary payouts, then that becomes a very, very tangible risk, doesn't it? Which, of course, we, we understand much better when things become tangible in the, in the insurance market. You mentioned, of course, it's not all about carbon footprints and, and climate change. And obviously, with ESG, there is an S and there's a G as well there, which I think often get overlooked a little bit when we're talking about ESG. 
how wide ranging then do you think the captain's role can be? Because obviously not every company is the same. Every company's got a different footprint when it comes to ESG. Do, do you expect uh, the, the role that captors can play with organizations supporting their objectives to really vary quite drastically from, from corporate to corporate? Yeah, obviously there's going to be huge difference depending on what industry you're in. So a tech company is not going to have the same sort of ESG objectives and pain points as an energy company. That kind of goes without saying. But I think all companies are going through a transition of sorts and all companies have to be on some sort of an improvement trajectory. And I think that's there's an onus on, on all parts of society and particularly large corporates to be on that journey. So I don't think there is a company out there that can sort of rest on its laurels and kind of think it's got the ESG agenda completely settled because one of the things that's quite interesting about ESG and even the fact that we, we term it ESG is a little bit problematic because it's in the detail that we really need to focus on. And it's so it's such a broad topic that, you know, trying to put it all into an acronym doesn't really do it justice. So by that, I mean, if you think about the correlation between climate change and how it, you know, it's impacting weather systems, which will impact potentially your exposure from a property perspective. Then we also have, you know, as you said, there's a broad spectrum of uh, within ESG, you know, how is a company viewed and how is it going to be able to retain and attract talent? Your ESG posture has a massive bearing on that. You know, there's lots of studies coming out now that yeah. particularly millennials, they don't want to work for a company that has a poor reputation around ESG. So the people that are going to drive the whole transition are those sort of that sort of talent pool that you want to attract and so if you're not able to attract it because you're already in a poor place from an ESG perspective it, you know it's a it's sort of vicious cycle and so what we were kind of seeing and what we're talking about with clients through the captive is okay well let's look at it from a risk register perspective let's not get too hung up on you know the EDS and the G but let's look at the correlations that are starting to emerge based on the risks that are coming out from the agenda and let's see how we can kind of use a captive to you know play a part in that and that can be as diverse as ip so like obviously if, if a company is investing in in renewables or investing in a new way of, of making products more sustainable it's going to be ip profile that's going to spin off of that which is different than it was maybe you know last year and so what's that do to the to the risk profile from an ip perspective and that flows all the way through into people risk as well as all the things that you know are well documented already such as you know climate and, and microplastics and those kind of risks so it, it, it's very broad and i think that's kind of the neat bit from a risk manager's perspective there's a great opportunity to actually have a look at this from an enterprise perspective and figure out kind of various correlations and how the risk changes and then what they need to do in terms of managing the risk and financing the risk which is where the captive comes in. Yeah, you mentioned uh, people risk there, Kieran, and I've, I've interviewed quite a few uh, employee benefits managers from some very large corporations recently for, for the Global Captive podcast. It's really striking me how um, much of a kind of a sales pitch that these benefits managers are putting on what their captive can enable them to do to provide better benefits to their employees, better healthcare, you know, excluding certain covers that would have been excluded in the commercial market. And that they don't, I don't think they're consciously looking at it through a ESG lens yet, but it, it strikes me as very obvious that those, if, if the benefits are already doing the things they're saying they're doing and the captive is enabling them to do that, then obviously they are providing a great value to the S side, the society side of the ESG, if they're supporting their employees around the world. And it's another example of how the captive can enable uh, enable that progress to take place. One thing that you've, you've mentioned twice in passing now, is microplastics. I know it's a, an area that you've explored in detail and, and are passionate about. Can you perhaps use that as an example to outline 
some of the challenges that is being presented to corporates on the topic of, of microplastics specifically and how insurance and captive insurance specifically might play a role in, in mitigating the impact or, or finding a solution or, or helping the transition. Yeah, it's, microplastics is a particularly interesting one. And, and I like to, to kind of mention it because, as I said earlier, I think a lot of the, the ESG conversation just defaults into carbon and climate change. And I think what we'll find is a lot of the kind of emerging risks are probably going to come from other areas. And I think one of the areas that's particularly, you know, I think sensitive at the minute is microplastics. You know, plastics are everywhere. We've relied on them as a society for, for a long time. They have obviously degrade at a very slow rate. So we're, we're sort of stuck with plastics and, and they're um, ending up in, in um, food chains and they're ending up in the ocean. And we're actually seeing lawsuits now coming against some of the big plastic producers, you know, from waterway type organizations where they're, they're finding that the waterways are getting clogged up with plastics. So there's a kind of a left field example. But I think more worrying than that, we're seeing exclusions starting to come now because we're now starting to see two things that are I think particularly worrying from a risk perspective. One is we're, we're, we're starting to have evidence now of microplastics being uh, present in human food. So there, there's a lot of um, recalls and issues with certain types of foodstuffs now that, that you know, that there's, there's proven high levels of, of plastic in them, which is very obviously bad for, for human health. But the other one is even in the plastic production process, there's now direct evidence that that has detrimental impact on, on human health as well. So if we think about that from an employer's liability perspective, that could be a bit of a ticking time bomb. So if we just think about microplastics as one particular sort of pain point in the ESG conversation, that's that's a risk that could kind of pop up across maybe five or six existing risk types. So you're talking about recall, employer's liability, environmental impairment. You know, there's, there's a whole host of risks. And then obviously we have the potential litigation risk that's sort of new that we add on on top of that. So one of the things that, that you know, we're talking to some, some clients about at the minute is, okay, well, we understand that that's the case. We should really be trying to reflect that risk because it's sitting on your balance sheet latent. What can we do to finance that now? What can we do to put governance and start gathering the data around that now? That can be, could be meaningful you know, as kind of the, the, the market matures and, and our understanding of microplastics matures. So we're starting to kind of use captives as pre-funders for, the, for the, some of the litigation risk there. Um, and then what the idea is, let's use the, the premiums and capital that the captive would attract to do something to offset that impact. So plastics tend to end up in the ocean. So let's think about some sort of marine type blue bond or marine investment where we, we actively invest in something that's going to clean plastics out of um, the ocean near fish farms, for example, so that we at least know that fish stocks are going to be, we'll avoid plastics and fish stocks. That's one example. But the other one that might be even a better use of those funds is how can we use that to maybe fund R&D into alternative plastic approaches so that we can kind of reduce the reliance on, on plastic. So if we get that right, what we'll do is we'll start to create a little bit of a, a pre-funding volatility yeah. mechanism, but also we'll gather data and start hopefully creating a little bit of um, awareness within the group that one, the risk is out there, we need to do something about it. And two, let's how can we use the captive to, to start fund, even in a small way, some positive impact around that. And I think if we do that on a large scale over time, we'll get a compounding effect where 
actually the the you know we will start reducing the impact and also we'll have a better risk financing approach to these emerging risks that's that's the concept anyway that we're, we're trying to build out with with a number of clients at the moment yeah that's really interesting i think it's important to mention uh, in the context of my next question that of course when a company has a captive and uses a captive they're still very much interacting with the wider commercial market they might still be buying other insurances but the captive itself might be buying reinsurance so i think it's important to ask considering that captives are a partner of the wider the commercial market what has the response been from the kind of conversations that you've been having with commercial marketplace whether it be reinsurance brokers or reinsurers to your ideas and and the kind of actions that captives can and have already started to, to be taking regarding esg and risk financing because obviously in that last example you gave us kieran about the captive kind of uh, pre-funding or funding uh, initiatives to kind of reduce the, the company's own footprint or kind of clean up if you will some of the company's own activities what has been the response to the commercial market to those ideas do you, do you expect to reinsurers to start looking a bit more favorably upon the risk if the captive is playing such a proactive role yeah i, I think it will but i think it it'll be predicated on the ability for the captive to sort of point to data points around it. So we we need to be able to demonstrate that the impact is real. Going back to the greenwashing conversation we had earlier, this needs to be demonstrable. It needs to be, you know, evidence-based and it needs to be underpinned by data ultimately. And I think that's going to be the key, but it's also, I think, the massive opportunity for a captive. So the conversations we're having with insurers and other stakeholders, you know, it's not it's not just insurers. I think about investors and, you know, finance partners, anyone along the kind of the financing value chain. Everybody has the same objective. Everybody wants to help the transition. But at the moment, I think the response from the insurance market, generally speaking, has been one of divestment rather than investment. So it's it's been more around we're not going to insure that anymore or we're not going to yeah. insure that as much rather than let's how let's think about how we can cr- think about this differently now i think we will get there um i'm like the, the conversations we're having are very positive i think we're just at the early stages that it's probably too nascent really to to have anything meaningful where the insurers can really get behind it but i think this isn't a new path for captives you know cyber was like this 10 years ago where some captives were taking cyber when the market didn't really have a feel for, for it. Now, it has gotten better since then. Some of our clients mightn't actually think that's the case when you look at the cyber rates at the moment. But, you know, we have a better understanding of the data required to think about cyber. That will be an inevitability with the risks from, from ESG. And, and in fact, I think the way we, we're, we're talking about ESG will soon become business as usual. And I, what my prediction will be is that we'll start to break down the E, the S and the G into a bit of a more nuanced conversation where we're talking about the risks in a bit more of a grown-up and, and detailed way rather than just lumping it all into ESG and trying to trying to grapple it that way. So I, I think we're on a journey. I think we're at the start of that journey. And I think, you know, the captive isn't going to be the panacea. It's not going to be the thing that creates capacity that isn't there or fixes risks that, that look particularly challenging. But I definitely think it has a strong part to play. And I think if I go back to the point about data being being really the key to unlock this, one of the things I said at the very start of this conversation is that risk managers who use captives extensively, they will point to the ability to gather data and use data, you know, make better decisions based on their data that the captive is able to give them. 
I think that's the key for for the ESG conversation as well. Yeah, fascinating. I think uh, one of the, the phrases you use, which I've not heard you use before, was trying to, if the captive can play a role in simply moving the commercial market away from de-investment and into investment, into into these risks i think that'd be a really crucial thing because it, it's all well and good insurers saying we're not going to write this type of coal anymore that doesn't really fix any problem does it i think we need to have that investment in providing insurance coverage or financing to um, more positive um, esg actions so i think i think it's a fascinating project i know kieran that you've got a few big projects with some from large corporates that are currently under development so hopefully maybe this time next year we'll get you back on kieran we can we can hear how that's progressed further and maybe hear some case studies as well yeah i'd love to absolutely all right kieran well take care and thanks for coming on to amic talks thank you